It's Behind the Bots Time! From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Kyle. I'm Brandon. I'm Shay. And I'm Brad. And today on the podcast, we're recapping episode three of BattleBots Champions season two with special returning guests, Brad Hanstead and Shay Waffles-Johns. We'll wrap the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, PlayerFM, and Podbean. Follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. Really appreciate the support. All right, so Brad, real quickly, I just wanted to comment on your background. It's uh, it's pretty sick, man. That looks like a super photorealistic uh, battle box that you've got there. Yeah, I actually hand drew it. It took me um, a lot of hours. I can probably show you some of the detail here. One sec. He's gone. Where did... <laughs> <laughs> to our viewers, to our uh, to our listeners, he just ran to the battle box and gave it a high five. It's run now running back to the to the chair. Yeah, I think he just went and hit the start button over on the blue side. Uh, that's hilarious. Thank you, Does that Brad. Look, that so look good to you. Oh yeah. Yeah. So some people have the battle box as their like you know background for these calls, and Brad just has the battle box as his background in life right now because that's like his job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for doing that. All right. Uh, and that for our listeners, you know, we're on YouTube now. So come check these things out. You can you can observe these shenanigans in real time. Um, all right. So time for this week's combat robotics news. I have four news items for you today. First of all, catch live robot combat at four events this weekend in Texas, Connecticut, Minnesota and New South Wales, Australia. In Houston, Texas, they'll be fighting fairies, ants and beetles on Saturday at the Fall Cougar Cup. In Lonsdale, Minnesota, they'll be fighting ants, beetles, um, ants and beetles at the most Minnesota Monster Mash event. Hot Poke and Captain Generic are scheduled to compete at that event, so go check them out. Um, in Hartford, Connecticut, our friend Ashley Beckman will be the MC for the Maker Battles Antweight event. Lots of great names will be competing there, and Ashley does an awesome job as the event MC. Um, on Sunday in Clarendon, Australia, the Wulongong Robot Combat uh, Organization will hold an antweight competition at the Convoy for Kids event, which raises money for the Royal Alexandria Hospital for Children. Uh, so go support the Children's Hospital and go check out Antweight Combat Robotics in New South Wales and Australia. How cool is that? Um, all right. So next up, Rusty Plushies have arrived. This is something that we have been waiting for for literally a year. Uh, they were announced to have arrived from their Kickstarter back in June. But due to shipping issues as well as delays, they have now finally started making it into the hands of some Rusty fans who have posted enthusiastically on social media that their Rusty plushies have arrived. Um, they are significantly bigger than I think anybody thought. The treads are extremely detailed on them, and the eyes look a little bit weird and sad. I'll just go ahead and say it. <laughs> um, they're cool. They're here. They're awesome. Uh, thank you, Dave Eaton, for getting that out to everybody. And they're all over social media today, so go check them out. Uh, who knows if there will be another round shipped, and if there are, who knows when we'll get them. But they're around. They're cool. Um, and finally, 
The NHRL Discord server dropped a new thread this month labeled December 5th, 6th, and 7th, 2023, Havoc All-Stars. Very little is known about this mysterious event. SparkyBot and NHRL Spokesbot uh, created this thread and has been very light on details. Another high-level NHRL production staffer speculated that it could be an invitational event with a World Cup-style bracket to celebrate NHRL's fifth birthday. Uh, we'll have more details on this mysterious event when they arrive, but we'll let you know. But as of right now, that's that's all anybody knows. So that's it for this week's news. All right, so now we're going to go on to recap the Golden Bolt Episode 3. Um, this was a pretty intense episode. Brandon, you had, you had a little bit to do in this episode. You kept showing up in it, I noticed. I, in fact, was there. It was actually the last day that I was able to do a lot of robot things, and I flew out the next day. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, so there was... Uh, it was a very difficult event to predict. I don't think anybody actually predicted Gary would be going away with the win. <laughs> um, but, Brandon, what were your thoughts on this like whole tournament? I mean, how did this go for your team? Obviously, you had to face uh, free shipping in the first round. Um, how'd that go for you? Well, I started off the day strong, and I got slushies from Gary first and foremost. That's critical to keep hydrated in, in Las Vegas, how to get started. It was nice for a chat with him, of course, like seeing the robot and all that. Um, so, funny thing about Mammoth, uh, this entire year we've been struggling with drive difficulties, because in our first match yeah. against Valkyrie, the drivetrain essentially got stripped out. The level of forces just destroyed our gearboxes, and there wasn't enough reduction there. And so when we were um, over the course of the next week and a half or so, basically the whole season into um, Golden Bolt, we were spending a lot of time rebuilding it. So we ended up dancing around with multiple options. We had first, I think, uh, Banebot's P8H gearboxes, which died against Valkyrie. Um, then we got the patented Will Bales hyperdrives, which are really good, except when you're driving a mammoth. And so that, so that only lasted but so long. <laughs> so then, so then we had this very genius idea. We thought, okay, so we need more reduction and we need a way to allow us to drive mammoth. So what we did is actually took two of these things. We re-engineered it so that the output of one led to the input of the other. So you sort of Frankenstein two um, hodgepodge hyperdrives together. Um, that worked for exactly not long enough because the <laughs> <laughs> the mammoth centipede the mammoth centipede, the mammoth centipede <laughs> of hyperdrives motor centipede the hyper centipede uh, ate itself unfortunately driving around because those the output wasn't designed for that so we're asking it to do a lot and so going into the fight I think we had um, that drive sort of working we thought you know what at least it's something so we put it in the yep. box. We, we ran against free shipping, and um, funny thing about free shipping, uh, it's a very long and fast 250-pound torpedo, and yeah. the way it works on Mammoth's arms, they have a giant, giant torque arm, like six foot tall, I think, for the, for the arm itself, and free shipping did a really good job of back-driving that arm in such a way that the chain just gave up on life. And so uh, it it threw yeah. itself across the arena. That chain was just like what eight feet away from the bot by the time that it landed. Yeah, it had a nice travel, <laughs> had a nice journey. You know, it made sure it saw the box, enjoyed its time there in Las Vegas for a bit. <laughs> and so, so Mammoth was very sad because because uh, all the wear from the season made the chain stretch a lot. That's the that's the consumable of Mammoth's weapon. The chain just 
nothing can handle the amount of force in Mammoth's weapon because it's just so torquey that it just pulls the chain apart. So it was already a bit sad. Free shipping punched it really, really hard by driving into it really quickly. And then the drivetrain just sort of fell accordingly as the hyper centipede got sad too. Yeah. So Mammoth just sort of self-imploded more than anything. But Gary still kept driving fast and driving well though. So that was, you know, kudos to him for sure. Absolutely. Uh, the other match I wanted to talk about kind of in these beginning rounds was uh, beat up versus double tap. Mm-hmm. Um, had a great conversation with the team behind double tap earlier this year. And they talked to me a little bit about this matchup. Uh, they, they, there's a lot of like controversy online right now that Beta went a little bit too hard on them at the end and like was, you know, beating them when they were done, but they apparently asked for it. They were like, nah, man, if you get us in a position where you can do a lot of damage to our bot, like go for it. We want to put on a good show. Um, this was a kind of prototype bot for them anyway. And they just wanted to see it get destroyed, which it's like, Everybody has different goals when they go to battle bots. And I think that that team's goals was to learn and put on a good show. And this was the best way they could do that. As far as their last fight goes, um, as far as beta goes, man, great matchup for them. They did phenomenally well that that hammer is scary. Uh, that tungsten hammer is really cool. I like that a lot. Um, and also big bean hammer for beta all the time. It's just the way it should be. It looks better. <laughs> it always looks better. Um, and then, uh, these Australians beat the crap out of a British guy and it was really sad. Um, Oh, Oh. (laughs) uh, it was, I love Craig. It's just, you know, I, I, it's so sad. That was a rough matchup to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, but on to happier times, there was this other matchup where, uh, we got to watch two really big spinny things hit each other a lot. And, uh, you guys, you guys were there for that, as I recall. Um, so Triton, Versus Gigabyte, Gigabyte uh, really struggled to get their stride all season. Uh, seemed to have hit it just in time to meet up with your bot. How'd this go for you guys? How was that matchup? Well, um, I guess I would start with what our logic was going into the fight. Um, I have been doing robots for at least 20 years or so. And, you know, when I when I was a kid watching Commie Central's like, oh, yeah, like Biohazard, blah, blah, blah. When I started getting older and I really got into robots, Megabyte or Gigabyte was my favorite robot. It was the destroyer of everything. And when that robot was designed, it was designed to beat Last Rites, which is now Tombstone. It was designed to beat that robot. Triton is very similar in, you know, uh, weapon wise to to Tombstone. So. (laughs) So basically, (laughs) Gigabyte is a giant spinning wedge. You know, it's a giant spinning wedge. It's sloped. It just completely takes our bar and makes it really difficult. So the logic was we have a very long reach and we can flip ourselves over. So we started upside down. So that way our bar was hopefully the goal, right up shell, cut mast, because that is our weakness. You cut that mast, their shell's gone. That has happened multiple times. It breaks on its own sometimes from force. I think in hindsight, we would have gone tooth to tooth because we'd rather see that now at this point. But we tried to go for the cheeky play and it didn't work out. And that robot is designed to beat Triton. You know, it's it's perfect for beating us. So it was a yep. very difficult matchup. Yeah, it, you got the real short end of the rock, paper, scissors stick right at the beginning of this whole tournament. And, uh, you know, we've seen Tombstone defeat gigabyte in the past but also that was a gigabyte with a uh shall we say mysteriously sourced connection part for the shell that 
broke on impact as it should have because it was not the material they were told it was. So, you know, that's that's kind of how that goes. Um, well, it, it was it was 70, 75. So, it, you know, <laughs> hypothetically, hypothetically, in um, some yeah, world, that's maybe. What that's what it said on the invoice. But that's I don't think that's what they got. <laughs> Um, but no, that you guys did not have that luck. Unfortunately, all of their parts were very well sourced for this matchup. So <laughs> you just had to deal with fully functional gigabyte. Um, how do you feel about the kids that kind of took over the team? Um, like they seem to gain a lot of confidence after winning this matchup, obviously in those interviews, how did they seem before the fight with you guys? Did they have a lot of like anxiety going in or did they feel pretty confident going in against you guys? I really mostly just talked to John because, like, they were really busy with Gigabyte. They put so yeah. much work and time, like, you know, I like both. I like the whole team. You know, Gigabyte, we usually try and socialize a little bit, and that was not the week to do that. They were putting all their energy <laughs> into it. So, like, right before the fight, you know, I told John, I was like, oh, man, like, this is going to be a one. And he's like, yeah, both of you could do it. <laughs> you know, like he was, I think he was enjoying the, the, you know, seeing how Gigabyte can go and seeing it take different twists and turns. But I don't know what their expectations necessarily were going in. It was nice that Ray was there with Malice for filming at the time because he came by and like stopped by to chat with us about like, yeah, you know, just make sure your blade's really sharp and you can cut that mask pretty good. And it'll, you know... He, so he gave us some advice on that and everything, but everyone unanimously was like, "Man, this is going to be a thing." Is, <laughs> yep, you're gonna. I love yep. the idea of Ray Billings just floating around the pits, offering sage wisdom to all the horizontals, just like, "Oh, I'll help Malice. I'll come over here and help you guys." <laughs> just... <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hauntingly so familiar, the... I guess. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so at the end of the day. Uh, Gary Jin was able to pull out a ridiculous win and uh, had get punch his ticket to the final tournament. Um, this is a phenomenal performance by his bot, but really it was a phenomenal performance by him. Uh, his driving was 100% on display. Um, I cannot wait to see what those matchups are going to be in the following tournament. Uh, that. You just love to see Gary win, but you can't tell if Gary loves it in those <laughs> interviews. He's like, yeah, it kind of happened, you know? You know, he sort of drove yeah, it really, really fast. And, uh, he's happened. the same. He's the same no matter what, you know? Like, he could lose. The entire bot could be on fire, and he could be like, it was fun. Uh, and then he could well, win the this, entire thing. I will say, this year was a little interesting because I, get, I did get to talk to him a bit, oh. um, mainly because even though we didn't fight him, um, he changed his drive system completely this year. So he mm. went to Castle oh. system. Mm -hmm. So he oh. basically was using the same thing that Deep Six had used, that yep. um, Shatter uses, basically the exact same system. Um, and so, you know, we, he was asking us questions and we're kind of going back and forth talking about it. And I think he had a great result with it. And uh, Castle kind of just works as kind of the, the claim to fame. Uh, it's limited by 8S, but hey, it just works sometimes. And so it, it looked like it pretty, did pretty well. I like that you said it just works sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, we've Deep Six never had a single failure in drive, other than like the wheels getting directly hit. And Triton just worked as well. Like, mm -hmm. and it's just a really easy system. You know, with Vesk, you have to do some voodoo magic sometimes. Like, 
it's comes down to little settings that even electrical engineer like Ricky Williams will oh. tell me like, you just have to oh. play with it. Just double it or half it until it works and just test it. Like <laughs> you can technically calculate it, but it's just easier to do it. And it's like, okay. So like Castle is a lot easier in terms of programming and that just makes it a lot easier system to implement. What's the, the Newcastle uh, tagline? It's going to be, you know, 60% of the time it works every time, Castle. <laughs> I, I've never had a no, failure with, with it directly. I was okay. a big fan of RC car stuff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. 100%. Perfect. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. No, the, and that's, I mean, especially with so many people really suffering with VESC issues this year, that is worth its weight in gold. I mean, honestly. Um, all right. So... We're going to go ahead and get into predictions for uh, this upcoming episode for this week. Um, I am the only one that was not at filming, and <laughs> therefore, I guess I am the only one that is able to give predictions this week. And as per tradition, I have not looked at what the fight card is. Um, so, Brandon, let's go. Ahead, let's go through it. Let's see. Let's see how how smart I am this week. I was not smart last week Ooh. at all. I got. <laughs> like one fight correctly so uh yeah we'll see how it goes yeah that was that's probably the best part for me is coming like oh he had the poor poor little thing he had no idea uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's see so for next week the since he's like four we have first banshee versus cobalt what a great fight cobalt's gonna win wow that that's was gonna be super fun i <laughs> was pretty quick to kyle <laughs> <laughs> are you now confidence in david I love David Small. It's just, it's a new robot. And there's a lot of issues with that. And a flipper against a cobalt is just a hard day any day of the week. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Next we have Emulsifier versus Captain Shredder. Oh, that's going to be so much fun. Um, I think Emulsifier is going to pull it out uh, just based on the physics of the entire situation. Um, I kind of hope they don't, though. I hope for a, a Captain Shred upset. I think that would be more fun. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Emulsifier. Okay, any sure all alone. Love to see it. Next, we have Lucky versus Overhaul. Oh, this is going to be so much fun to watch. Uh, I think this is going to go to Lucky. Um, they've just been driving that bot real well, and they've got nothing left to lose, and that's going to be awesome. Uh, but I love a fight with Overhaul, man. Charles is, what, is such a fun guy to have on screen. The bot's so much fun to watch. His driving is phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Lucky. All right. And then finally, we have Jackpot versus Big Deal. Yes, this is going to be so much fun. Um, I'm going to give this to Big Dill. I, like they've just been driving so well, and the bot's been working so well. Um, Jackpot really has accumulated a lot of damage by this point. Um, mm -hmm. I think I think it has to be advantage to Big Dill on this one. Yeah, I mean, you just have to deal with the it. The good news, as a split Jackpot Triton team member, I will say the good news about Jackpot, though, everything that wasn't working got destroyed. So, you know, it's all new stuff. So you were right? just essentially <laughs> running a whole new jackpot at that point, anyway. That's good to know. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. you replace the handle of the hammer, then you replace the jackpot. Head. Jackpot's a zombie. It, it, I don't, I don't know how Jeff keeps it running. Sometimes it's like all of a sudden he adds this extra plate from another frame from three years ago, and it's like, wait, wait, wait what? Jeff just makes it happen. I don't know. <laughs> Jeff at one point was like, yeah, there are parts of the robot that are totally held together by epoxy and glitter. It's, it is what it is. For the, <laughs> for the Bloodsport um, Proving Grounds match, like, bearing went out and he was like, oh, it had, Charles, I think, gave advice on this. He was like, oh, that's the exact size is the kind of bearing in this specific van. 
So Jeff went to the pick apart and was like, hey, there's that. Yeah, and yeah. put it in on like a Friday night before <laughs> the Proving Grounds thing, which, uh, you know, that's probably the most jackpot thing to happen in a <laughs> <laughs> a long yes. time. <laughs> yes. I was about to say, what a Jeff Waters move. I love that. That's hilarious. That's that's true uh, BattleBots right there. Just yeah. takes the stuff from a van, put it in the robot, and destroys things. But also, yes, <laughs> you can never underestimate Big Dill, and I'm so glad to see. I just love watching that bot move. All the robots, really. Like, yeah. Banshee, mm-hmm. you can tell when, even if you don't see which robot it is, the way it moves around, I feel like you can tell, oh, that's small driving. You know, yep, same thing sure. with uh, E-Man. The way he handles Big Dill is always so good. Yeah, Carrillo's a really cool guy, really smart designer, and I just want that bot to do well. I'm really rooting for it. So, yeah. All right, so where does that put us moving forward? All right, so now I have Cobalt versus Emulsifier. Oh, yes, this is going to be big, big action. I love it. Uh, I'm going to give it to Emulsifier, but uh, that that's a tight one. And honestly, that's just coming down to ground game at this point. It's just just giant blades smacking each other <laughs> hit him really really hard and see what happens <laughs> <laughs> all right so then we have lucky versus big deal um this one's gonna have to go to lucky but man also cool fight i'm loving this bracket i've designed all right let's keep going okay that means the grand final muscle fire versus lucky oh that's such a tough one I'm going to have to give it to Lucky. Oh, okay. Lucky's going lucky. Lucky's going lucky. I honestly do think it is. I mean, like, against Emulsifier, there was a, a, a few too many new bot gremlins with that thing. And Lucky's got a good ground game, and I think they'd be able to, like, get. yeah, I think it would have to go to Lucky. I think okay. it would have to go to Lucky. All right. Awesome. I love the fact that, uh, in my mind, Golden Bolt's going to have a Gary Jin and a Lucky, you know, a free shipping and a Lucky riding around in it, because that's that's exactly what I want. Just big, long, rectangular bots from the 90s. Uh, <laughs> in the modern era. That's modern battle bots to me. <laughs> Anytime that somebody doesn't get the excuse to be like, oh, they haven't won recently enough, they should retire. That's where we want to win the most. I mm-hmm. hate <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's just going to just absolutely take down saw plays. It's easy. Uh, I love this. Uh, yeah, it's easy. You just take down saw plays. You know, Jameson goes easy to beat at any weight class. I promise. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, I know for sure. Confirm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you're putting tons of money and time into building three robots in an attempt to beat Jameson at one weight class in a couple of weeks. Full paychecks. Um, full paychecks. Yeah, anyway. Full paychecks. <laughs> just going into Jameson, ro- just... Jameson contingency plans. <laughs> Anti-Megatron smacking devices. Yes. <laughs> all right so we're going to go ahead and get into the actual interview portion of this uh podcast so this week on the podcast we have some very special returning guests brad hanstead and shay waffles johns of team overboard and they're the team behind triton and deep six um so what we like to do at this point in the interview is have you guys introduce each other whenever we have two people from the same team so uh shay could you introduce brad tell us tell us who brad is kind of a little bit of his history and what he does on the team. Oh, I don't know how much time we have, but uh, Brad goes way, way back. It's really funny to, uh, a lot of people don't know how many teams he's been a part of in the past. Like he's been on Megabyte. He's gone, you know, he's gone to China with Megabyte and also with Kronos. He was on Captain Shredderator for a season. Like 
all of the robo games lore that he's been a part of too with bd6 mm. and all, all that um there's so many robots that he's been a part of and i'm really glad that uh He's a part of Cookie because it's made that a lot better. <laughs> and probably he's the only person in the world who, when I was like, well, I have this Bristlebot shell spinner and I also did a ring spinner version of it too. It's really different. He's like, oh yeah, I did that in like 2008 of 250 <laughs> full bot, you know, ring spinner Bristlebot. That's a thing that I've done that here's the injection molded bristles I made. Like, hmm, what can we learn from this? Yeah. <laughs> so that's Brad for you. He's like the one person that's if there's been a robot problem, he's probably seen it. And uh there's definitely the wealth of knowledge. And what's Brad's current occupation? He is the lead bot engineer at Destructathon. So he heads up a lot of like designing small fixes, like the amount, the amount of damage that the Destructathon bots are going through is kind of unprecedented in terms of, like, you have a working combat robot that things are going to break that aren't supposed to break and or, yep. you know, just the, the attrition that they go through. So kind of trying to design for that, you know, different challenge um, and making improvements and seeing what can be done and just sort of coordinating, making sure that all the, all the little athletes are ready for their boxing night every night. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. And then Brad, could you go ahead and introduce Shay? Uh, tell us a little bit about Shay's history and what Shay does on the team and I guess Shay's current job. Sure. So Shay is one of the loveliest women uh, on the planet. Uh, <laughs> I am currently start. <laughs> dating her. Um, and, but Shay, she currently works for Send Cut Send and she is one of the like original remote Send Cut Senders. And um, she has like seen a lot of people from Combat Robotics come into Second Send as well. Mm -hmm. And so she handles a lot of the inner like team sponsorship stuff for BattleBots as well. So she kind of helps like, you know, guide that whole system for the lot. There's so many teams that are sponsored by Senkut Send. It's actually insane. The Triton is also sponsored by Senkut Send, which is fantastic. Um, but she basically is customer support. And a lot of times she'll help you fix your things by, you know, sometimes recatting your stuff. Uh, looking at your parts and telling you how you don't know how to bend things. Um, there's a lot of, you know, she ends up educating customers on how to properly use Send, Cut, Send because it is a very different service than you would normally have in industry. And there's a lot of uh, business to business industry kind of stuff that goes through Send, Cut, Send. Yep. Uh, additionally, she's been building robots for several years now. I want to say maybe three to five. I, I don't actually know this. I don't keep track of these things. Um, but she is the premier Bristlebot um, builder, in my opinion. Um, there's been a few other Bristlebot builders, but she's the premier one, the most well-known one. And she obviously builds Big Cookie, which is very well-known on NHRL, but she also has Regular Cookie, which is a three-pound robot, as well as robots like uh, Danger Banana, a uh, one-pounder. Or the fairy, actually. It was a fairy. That one's a fairy, um, But she has all these cool little Bristlebots, and she prefers not to have wheels. No wheels, no mercy. Um, but I have made her drive wheeled robots before, and um, she actually kind of enjoyed it sometimes, even if she tells you she didn't. Um, <laughs> she's also won a competition with a wheeled robot as well, and not many people know that. Um, <laughs> in addition, um, as a side hustle, she actually works here at Destructathon, mainly on weekends, where she um, basically, um, what's the right word? Not, not coordinate, but um, she basically takes in all of the broken pieces and bits and presents them very beautifully with nice certificates of authenticity signed by Trey Roski himself, you know, owner, founder of BattleBots. 
and um, they are for sale here only at Destructathon. Um, so you can come in and when you see the show, you can then buy a wheel from hy the Hypershock or buy little pieces of metal that have ripped off from past fights. And so she has basically curated all of that beautifully. And now there's different price levels and different like little pieces. So you can get big ones and small ones. You get the entire Hypershock backplate that's been smashed by Witch Doctor before and really cool stuff like that. And she completely headed that up and made that whole system just work fantastically. Um, and did I say that she's super awesome and super pretty and I love her and all that already? You did mention it. Yes. I, okay. uh, I sure. love Shay that your job <laughs> at Destructathon is essentially like creating uh, collector's items and memories for people. Like that's so cool. Um, all right. So I wanted to talk to you guys about your experience at NHRL. Uh, so you both came out at the January new bots event with big cookie um everyone loved this robot it was one of the event favorites like people were going nuts for it there was like uh video footage and tiktok footage that we did youtube footage that we did about the robot and about your experience there um just because it was such a unique design and uh like you're such a charming person um but i wanted to talk to you guys kind of about that experience um what was like what was your favorite part about bringing Big Cookie to NHRL? And what was your like, how did you feel about your bot's performance there? How did you feel about your um, your bot? Like, did it work the way you planned on, I guess is the question. Um, I think my favorite thing about that, like, experience was sort of the process of deciding to make it and how the design came together. Because mm -hmm. originally, um, for the December finals, we were going to help out Dustin and bring Depth Charge up because he, you know, was indisposed with the most beautiful twins that I've seen in a long time when they, they were really born. Cute. So, um, but he shipped us Depth Charge and U UPS was just like, eh. like at one point we got an update where it was like, we still have a label, might not have a box. And we're like, ah, okay, so whatever. So we're like, well, what could we bring? Like, we got to, you know, do something. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Alex Horn was just like, I've got this Cromali shell from 30 Pounds of Rage, which was a 30 pound robot like 20 years ago. That could work. We could put new teeth on it. You know, like, let's, you know, that could happen. And we're like, okay, well, we have a lot of Triton parts that could totally work for spinning a 16 pound, pound blade. That would be fun. Like, okay, we can do that. So like, you know, Brad put the sort of, you know, infrastructure together for how the inner workings would all be secure, because I was just like, I don't, I don't know how you can keep everything really anchored in very super well. And, uh, but he did a great job of like planning that out. And I was like, okay, this is how many we could put 56 different tapped holes that I could put the bristles, you know, bolted to like perfect. Um, so between all of that, just sort of the stuff that we had available, we're like, okay, if we need to in two weeks, we could make this happen and mercifully depth charge showed up so that was great so we could bring it we did the 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 whole thing but so then when the january event was coming up we're like well the community really came together on this one we definitely could still do it so uh completely masochistically we rushed slapped it all together and uh i had meant to vinyl cut like little chocolate chip you know graphic things to put all over it and I had completely spaced on it. So when we were there in Norwalk, we were like driving to the hotel. Um, 
I was like, oh, there's a Michael's quick. Let's just go. I'll get something that I can slap on to look like chocolate chips. And I saw a bag of eyeballs. So I was like, well, that would be pretty funny. So <laughs> instead of like handcrafting all these little chocolate chips, I just was like, all right, I'm going to really like calm, you know, Zen activity of super gluing the eyeballs to the robot. And it yeah. was a, it was a good centering balancing activity to do that. <laughs> But when we when we got there, I was not sure because we had tested it like a little bit before we packed everything up to go to the airport on the sidewalk outside the apartment. And I was pretty sure that it would also work on a wood floor. But pretty from sure. what we knew of depth charge and how the different surfaces can affect it, like we really did not know. And it's yeah. already a much slower robot than like the one pound shell cookie, especially like the three pound ring spinner was much slower moving than the one pound. The one pound can be really, you know, you can understand that it's controlled better. The fairy weight is much more like just faster. So it seems, you know, more controlled. So I wasn't sure that it would move fast enough on the wood floor to really show that it's directed motion because it is, you know, it's torque steering. Like we, it, I speed up, slow down and it pulls, you know, but at that weight too, it's hard to break enough on the, yeah. to really. Yeah. So we were not sure if it would move as well on that floor, but you know, we knew it's a, it's a big old castle motor with a big old battery and, we knew it's, it was it's one spin. third of Triton's weapon system. Yeah, it is. It's one third <laughs> of the Triton weapon system, and uh, we knew it would spin. And with the fantastic nautical nonsense provided by Andrew Russell that Brad <laughs> drove to perfection, um, you know, we figured we could at least do something interesting. Didn't think it yeah. would break a, a the Lexan or anything like that, just because it's more stable by virtue right. of being the shell. But I hoped to show people that, you know, bristles work and that it can be a really good time. And also just that it's it's a bunch of stuff that we could put together. You know, it's as close to a dumpster bot, I guess, as you can get for 30 pounds. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, covering it in eyeballs. And it's it's funny because I was so tired. I didn't realize like I tried to see if the I the googly eyes had like a, a plastic, like a paper backing on them. And I couldn't get it to peel. So I was like, oh, okay, they must just be like not self-adhesive. So I glued them all down. And after the first fight realized like some of them were not self-adhesive and the pupils had just like shot out from like when it would hit <laughs> an impact and you know, like the, so the pupils would shoot out of that. But also some of them did have a paper backing that I just didn't, you know, catch. So they had just like flown off entirely and the little paper circles would still be on there. So then. Yeah, so there was a lot of a lot of ways you can damage a googly eye. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was that was kind of our expectations were pretty much just like I knew it could do some real damage. I really hoped that we could get pretty far with it, just because it would be very surprising. Um, and the first couple fights, you know, I feel like I saw enough of like, oh, okay, this is valid. Like, yes. That is yes. why I do this. That makes sense. And then uh, in classic cookie fashion, it didn't make it past the first round of the actual bracket. Usually in any 
event, like it'll win the first two fights. And then when it matters, it's just like, all right, you've seen enough. So, <laughs> yep. uh, but it was still and a really great it. time and I'm really glad we could do it. Um, so I'm sorry. are you planning on bringing any version of cookie back to a, another NHRL event? Sorry, I have a barking dog. Brad can take this one. <laughs> okay. I think the plan is to definitely do it, bring it back. But we definitely want to look at probably <clears throat> making a new shell for it. Um, the, the shell is cool because it is old. We ended up, the you know, the very first version that was at NHRL was basically what you saw. But then we had to add a, another top shell to it because the chromoly was so thin, it was actually bending because it would, the shell would flex and hit the pulley that was, you know, power from the motor. So it started like bending and flexing because the top was so thin. Wow. So we ended up welding a new AR plate to the top and just re-topped it. We actually welded it on, then cut it out, and then like finished welding it and like made it a new shell, sort of, kind of. But the sidewalls are still this really thin chromoly that's unknown. Oh, thank you, Laura. Um, <laughs> it's unknown heat treat level. So basically, um, the goal is like if we fought something like beam or, or some other like horizontal, it would probably rip right through the shell. Yeah. And we really don't want that because obviously one third of Triton is expensive and we did just throw that in there. And it's like, we still need that back probably. So <laughs> we want to probably build a new shell. It's a little thicker, a little bit more, you know, designed a little better. Um, I definitely, from my experience of Kronos have understood the brilliance of the slope tooth or the kind of like the wedge tooth. Yep. Um, when you have a horizontal that has a wedge tooth, some of the energy gets transferred up. And so you kind of plant down, they go flying up. Not all the energy is perfectly side to side. So you actually get bigger hits and you tend to fly away less. And if Cookie gets against a wall, that's like the worst case for it. Because then it has to try to bounce off. Sometimes you have to reverse it and, you know, bounce off the wall and then slowly work your way back up there. And obviously as a shell spinner, you don't want to be against the wall ever. You want to quickly get back to the middle. So not flying to the, the corner is the ideal thing. So we are looking at improvements. I would love to improve the whole thing, like full rebuild. Let's do like, you know, angled directional bristles and, but that's probably a little too into the future. So the next version might just be a new shell and then we might work on the internals at a later point, but it, it really was like slapped together. And so it has a few issues, but it has a lot of potential and I enjoy that Shay gets to, to fight it and, you know, experience her dream of bringing this to people. So I'm all in for it. And, uh, I'm going to keep building little mini bots for it to help it out. Basically. Are and you it guys has planning improved. on bringing anything? Yeah, it has improved yeah. over the course of we've gone to at least like the first 30 pound scar event that was held. Like that was when I think we, uh, well, no, it did, it did the same thing at Moto. It had the new shell cover, but it moved really well on the, on the scar floor. Um, yeah. And, and that was when we realized the problem of like, sort of by design, right? Like my whole, oh, the cookie concept, you speed up to turn one way, you slow down to turn the other. Um, that's when I realized like the not being able to turn left without slowing down was like, or turn right, I think was really what it was. The Zoolander weakness is a real weakness because a lot of times there'd be like a perfect shot that I was like so ready for and like I'm headed straight towards them. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna spin up real hard so I get a really hard hit and then, yeah. <laughs> Because it's doing what it's supposed to do, you know? It's like, oh, man, it's working well enough that I can actually see real design flaws instead of just <laughs> a real demented concept that's not supposed to work. Like, now we're getting to the actual problems instead of just... Also, I'm really sorry about Laura right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
YouTube viewers getting a privilege. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Laura, we're, we're Laura getting... the dog has joined the uh, joined the oh, interview. Yeah, That's perfectly She's... fine. She she was part of Triton. She uh, has pictures of her yeah. laying on top of them. Yeah. Master car orders, you know, just oh, on yeah. top of bags of bolts. So she's, she's well on into it. Charge like my dog sleeping on the robots in the apartment is kind of a. It's one of my favorite, but also kind of horrifying things. <laughs> They're so comfortable with it, but yeah. So it's been um, nice to see Cookie actually improve, but. Uh, then I remember my other robots, and then I get like, oh, but what if that? So. so you can't bring Cookie to the new bots event anymore, right? Cookie has debuted. Right. Cookie has already been right. there. So do you have any plans for the January new bots event this year? Are you guys have any weird ideas that you might want to throw together real fast with, you know, something you got from Alex Horn? <laughs> That's always the goal, right? Um, I have had a three-pound beetle banana sort of in the wings also using a hand-me-down weapon that's generally how my bots tend to be is like robert then <laughs> you know got me kind of started with vcr or you know when we founded vcr and everything and he would be like oh i have this weapon it's too heavy for this weight class do you want it i'd be like yeah i don't have to have a drive system so i have weight for it like let's do it so that first danger banana was a fairy weight spinner bar um and that really has very compelling motion. It just needed much better like mechanical stability. So fortunately, since I have, I know a great mechanical engineer, <laughs> that's <laughs> most likely not gonna be such a big problem. Uh, but he also had a three pound uh, bar that's like this big. Ooh. And he was like, oh, you know, you could use that for beetle banana. and. So that would be nice. Beetles are very competitive. So I'm, yes. I don't really want to bring a beetle to Norwalk. But uh, to use an existing weapon, which is my custom, it would, it would probably have to be a beetle. But also, we brought to Wasteland a um, kind of a sportsman design that it's like 42 inches tall wheels. It's not quite a huge... Um, with steel balls that can winch up and down. So you can smash the other robot or drive really fast into them and smack them. Yeah. That would be a really fun concept. But yeah, it, it depends. It depends. Um, it depends on how so much, uh, how much that can fit in a suitcase. <laughs> I, I then have um, a 30 pound design that is common kind of ode to Gene Burbeck, who is a, fantastic builder that we used to have and he's kind of moved out of building robots and i eventually want to one day build that and maybe 30 pound version of that and then i have a 12 pounder that i actually was going to bring to jan it was january i think i was going to bring it to called frozen pancakes and it is like parts and i need to build it and i kind of got sidetracked and obviously i'm very busy now working here so i haven't had time to build frozen pancakes but it is a four bar lifter and it needs it already needs a redesign, but I should probably build it and then actually, you know, flesh it out and stuff. Um, but it's just a fun little robot to, to mess around with and have something that's either going to die and I don't have to worry about it anymore. I can help Shay or it does OK and I don't have to worry about it. And I can help Shay because <laughs> <So. laughs> Cookie is kind of like our big robot. Obviously, we come into new bots and it'd be something else. So I have no, I, you know, I have no idea. 
Um, all right. I would love to see both of you guys bring something weird to NHRL next season for sure. And maybe even to a mysterious December event. Who knows? Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, all right. So I'd like to kind of turn the conversation over to Triton now. Um, so Triton did very well for a first time robot in the battle box with a shelf. Um, what did you learn this season? What might you bring to future versions of Triton with what you learned this season? So by the end of the season, we had already gone like, okay, obviously we need to fix this, 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 this. Yeah, we, we had that pretty well planned out. And the way that Triton kind of worked is Dustin designed it remotely. He had the original concept and the original design. We would talk and kind of work through it. And then I actually built it in Vegas. Hmm. And as I built it and as I had like my fantastic welder, Alex, who also works for Destructathon now too, you know, he welded up the frame and he did a fantastic job and it held together. And we, you know, we've learned through all these fights, like, okay, there's very obvious things. And so we have actually designed version two and we designed version two. It had a lot of fixes, one being different wheel pods, um, actually moving the wheels back a little bit in a little bit, make a lot of it out of like a UHMW have Tegris armor. Um, and maybe Dustin wants to try gears and I'm okay with that. Um, so we might experiment again. Um, I, pref- you know, I love experimenting with robots. I don't love building the same robot over and over again. That's why I've been on a lot of different teams is because I kind of come on a team. I learn about the robot. I try and fix something and then I get bored because it either does too well, or it's like I have other obligations or like they don't necessarily need me all the time anyway. So I build something else. And so I like experimenting. Um, the other thing is obviously the back, the stern, uh, sometimes also called the booty, um, was obviously a pretty big failure point. Um, Copperhead just, you know, touching it and it, it just evaporating. Um, there's really not weight for armor there, but we can obviously, um, we found out that we can definitely run four batteries instead of five, which solves a lot of space issues. We can basically tuck it up more, uh, make it a little tighter, maybe a little wider. Also probably make it out a lot of plastic and, and have Tegris armor as well. That'll soften some of the blows because we were actually experiencing when we would hit things, the back end would actually hit the ground or even when we went flying because we are a helicopter, apparently. But when we come down and land, it would actually flex the whole thing and just bend all this AR 500, you know, just from the force. So we had plans to make that. Now, we had all this plan. We catted this out. And then I get a call from Greg Munson. Do you want to fight Manta? So... (laughs) We fought Manta twice here at Destructathon for Proving Grounds without any of those changes. We used the old frames, um, the old robot, basically, and the, the robot you saw on the show. And that is available for, uh, it should be available on YouTube eventually here. Um, if it's not already, it's already to supporters. But the Manta fights, I mean, Manta is the RoboGames champion. Um, it is a fantastic robot. I don't think, it, I don't think it's not going to get into BattleBots. I think it's yeah. just too good. Um, I know everyone wants to see it fight Riptide instantly, which I'm sure we will get. I, I, I don't see how we don't see that Riptide fight. Um, but Manta is an amazing robot. It's, its weapon is S7, solid drum. It's wide as heck. And we basically had the largest hit I've ever seen in my life. Um, Triton was fully up to speed. Manta was fully up to speed. And Triton's anchor bar has, you know, a, lar- a lot of ma- a large bite because it's asymmetrical. So we actually hit him on his drum and it, I mean the round part of his drum. So he has two teeth that are, you know, offset, but that tooth didn't come up yet. It actually, we actually hit the inside of the drum, even though he's spinning much faster than us, which is, you know, un, this is like super unlikely to occur, but we got our weapon into his inside of his drum and then his tooth hit us. So we had f- absolutely full transfer of energy from both robots. And we were up to about here 
It's so good. In the battle box, floating. And we have <laughs> and camera footage the of this, like, helicoptering again, up. It was up there. It was definitely higher before the camera could catch us. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we went flying. That's so and, good. you know, so what we learned from that was we still need to fix the same issues. Uh, we knew about the the side armor. The, the wheels need to be better protected. The back, you know, it did okay. It actually... Triton held together better than I expected. Like Manta actually rode underneath us at one point and just, you know, buzzed up our entire side, like underside. And we actually did okay. I was actually expecting Copperhead would just things blow up, but it didn't quite catch. It might've been spinning too fast, but the massive hit was just so intense. This inch thick AR 500 bar just bent. In fact, it bent so far it, it, it would hit the chassis. And then as it landed, it like unbent somehow I, it was like the craziest no, thing I've again. ever saw. He hit it but again that bar to was probably total. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he did it hit it again. Bar. And he hit the, he, he the bent the back into. It, it, it was a bar created. that Glitch, when I shoved it into Glitch, it bent it and twisted it. And the Lincoln guys at Lincoln Electric, big shout out to them because they actually heated it up and re, re-twisted it and flattened it. And, you know, they had a metallurgist guy that said, you know, it didn't affect the AR500 hardness too much. And, I don't know, but it bent it. Okay, so then we go to the next fight. We take our solid bar. We it's a little shorter, but it's completely solid, just a standard bar, and it's you know double sided, not asymmetrical. And uh, we fought Manta again, about the same result. Uh, he bent the bar, um, and you know I, I did get a little nick on his side, but I didn't get uh, you know in driving. I've driven so many robots now here at Destructo, and I drive a lot of robots, and I've driven a lot of robots in my past. I've driven a lot of types of robots. Triton with the shelf in the arena. You're this giant horizontal. Your whole goal is not to go to the sides of the arena. You want to stay away from the walls because that is the immovable object that will destroy yourself. You will destroy yourself if you hit that. So to fight Manta, I needed to probably try and drive around him and get to his sides and maybe fake him out because Manta is very low to the ground and was having issues. You know, the floor isn't perfectly flat. We had better ground ability to drive over. We had the clearance. But ultimately, like in the moment, it's like, I'm not going to drive to the wall. Like my body did not, my finger did did not go to the wall and try to get around them. So I ended up just going weapon to weapon again and same result. So um, we know that one inch thick AR 500 is not enough. I don't even think one inch AR 600 is going to be enough against Manta. Um, it might have to come down to some kind of thicker material, some kind of reinforced material. Manta is going to require a special weapon if it's that far out you know a smaller weapon that's thicker would probably do better but like it that s7 drum of manta and he was underweight he had his heaviest configuration the big horizontal and he still had like five ten pounds or something ridiculous it was manta is going to absolutely destroy people oh that's so good but he's the nicest guy possible so it's kind of like no matter what, you're going to be happy like going into it because you can tell he's like put so much thought into every aspect of Manta. And that was one of the first proving ground fights where like the engineers who'd been working at Destructathon got to see like a professional grade bot come in. And even by like the bot standards that I've seen, like Manta showed up and you're like, Oh, this is a machine. Like this is a product. This is an, (laughs) this is an object, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's so professionally done. So the the, the camera teams here at Destructathon, like had to learn. Because they were so used to Destructon bots, which are, they, they have a lot of action, but not the action of Triton versus Manta, where it's like over in three seconds and it's just a massive flight. Like they were not ready for right. the camera angles. They, you know, and they, they don't they, have as the many show, cameras as during right. TV either, yeah. 
Right. In the, in the show, they have like, you know, like 10 camera operator, hand camera operators and tons of cameras. And here, the fact that we have like two camera operators and like a few cameras inside. And so they had to like add cameras and change angles. And like they had to learn how to like try and capture the more real robots, like just dishing out giant damage in, in an instant. That's so terrifying. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was so great, though. I mean, Brad did rebuild the entire Triton because it had to all be completely turned over to a new frame. And, like, it broke the uh, the gear holder for the weapon and everything. Like, every part of Triton had to be rebuilt. And Brad did it pretty much by himself. Like, there was uh, me and the one other teammate who also uh, is a destructive on employee now. <laughs> um, we're taking over. The, we were there to like help with some of the heavy lifting of like taking the weapon off and like putting it back on the next day. But every single thing needed to be changed on Triton and Brad, I don't know how he got it done. <laughs> like there's, there's some things that like, when you think about the breadth of possibility for how you can make a robot over the past 20 years, how it's changed. Like, I don't know. It, very glad that he was uh, able, you know, has had that experience that he could fix the robot like that. Cause I don't think many people could have done that turnaround yeah. like he did. Cause we fought, it was 6 PM fight on Saturday. Right. And then 2 uh, PM. This was, was this before the time change. Cause now distracted on is on. That's right. I guess it was one of the PM. first ones that it was 2 PM and 2 PM. So if we had fought at 2 PM, we would have had 24 hours to be ready to fight again for two. But we didn't. We fought at like 3.30 and then afterwards you have to like schmooze a bit with like the platinum guests and stuff like that. So we couldn't really get started on it. I think he had maybe 18 hours with no sleep <laughs> to repair the robot. And uh, oh, 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 I slept like two hours in the back platinum room a little bit or, or no, yeah. like an hour maybe. I don't I don't remember. Oh. I slept a little bit. Oh. To be fair. Very, very wow. not. But yeah, so it was one person doing all that. It was pretty amazing. But, uh, well, it, it was it was like a very unfortunate situation because we had like one teammate that had an emergency, like his like kid, like he has you know some health issues, and so he had like a surgery. It was a, it was an elbow surgery or something. He like damaged his elbow. Another guy had had like had to go to a wedding uh, across the country. So and Sam, you know, he has a other job as well. So Sam came in and helped us a little bit, but just like me and Shay, and Shay has work too and has to do other things. So it's like I it was a very unfortunate situation in which I was basically put to the challenge but i couldn't fail because i am one of the robot engineers for battlebots i'm like <laughs> one of the guys that supervises i have to, like i can't not repair a robot right. i have to do it so i had like a mission like i could not fail he's the guy you have to trust the guy i i had to do it and they were all surprised to too like the next day they're like oh do you think you can make it and he's like already it's already happening it's like already we done. we cut it very close but after the damage that happened in the first fight, like most of the other people working there, even though none of them had robotic, like combat robotics experience at all, like small bots, nothing. They were, I mean, Rob from safety, like he's seen a lot, but when it comes to repairing something on that scale, like they were really skeptical. And it's good that we had the spare frames that we did. And uh, yeah, that, yeah, it was, that was astonishing. So, Brad, that that leads me to an interesting question for you. Um, are you driving the bots now too, like as part of the Destructathon? Purview? Yeah. Um, so, basically, I was hired on initially to be, you know, like a 
they didn't have anyone that had worked on robots here to help fix the robots. So cool. it was at the start, I was working a lot of hours fixing robots, changing some of the wiring, making things work for us because, you know, a lot of other builders built the robots that we have for Destructathon and they brought them in. And, you know, most of it was the same parts, the same batteries, the same switches, but maybe they wired it a little differently. Maybe they did something a little different. And like we had to make some fixes and some adjustments to make it work for us. More standard. And so I did a, yeah. a lot of that. And um, but part of it was also they needed drivers and the local drivers. We have me, um, Jeff Waters and David Rush. And these are all excellent drivers and we were all local. And um, so we were the drivers. And for a large period of time, it was essentially Trey Roski, owner founder, and myself, and we drove most of the fights. Now, in the last so many months, like maybe three, four months, Jeff Waters and David have kind of switched off, and they were doing most of the driving now. I haven't driven as much. I did just drive this last weekend, and I'm kind of the fill-in now as I continue to, you know, I keep preparing the robots. I'm here all the time, um, but um, I have driven a lot of fights at this point. So, Brad, you've put in, at this point, probably more reps repairing and working on heavyweight robots, and probably now at this point more reps driving heavyweight robots than anyone else in the game just because of your Destructathon experience. Is that cheating? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are you going to go to like and the next world championship? Too. And he's like, right. Are you going to go to the next world championship and everybody else is going to be like tier one and you're just going to be like already on tier seven just because you put in so many more reps than everybody else? You know, a lot of people don't know about me because I don't really advertise myself, but I've always considered myself a very good driver and I've mm -hmm. driven robots that require very good driving for a long time. Um, but honestly, what I will say, you know, even Trey was very worried about like I'm getting too much experience. This is going to be unfair. And like other builders maybe said things. Um, and my answer to that is Triton doesn't drive like any of these robots, like zero. Um, and any robot is going to be different. Like it's only cheating if I get to drive Triton all the time and they don't really let me do that. And I don't really have time to do it either. So I don't like Triton. I could not fix really until like the week before I had to fight in proving grounds. Like I still had to do stuff to it, but I didn't have time to do it. So honestly, I didn't get a lot of time. Like I got like maybe one like drive around, spin up a little, you know, a couple times, like that's all I got. And what I'll say is that the Destructathon bots are completely different and you're trying to put on a show. So the driving itself, the type of driving you're doing, you're not trying to completely win instantly. Different. Like even when I'm Hypershock versus Witch Doctor, I'm driving Hypershock, Trey's driving Witch Doctor. I am trying to win that fight and I am trying to make it look like Will Bales is like scooting around and stuff. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily going to hit him. And if I see a really good opening, I'm not going to hit him again. I might spin up and drive around because maybe the weapon is, you know, it doesn't spin up quite as good as the real, the, the actual hypershock. So I need to let it spin up and get around and drive. And we do a lot of more face to face and we try to do things to be more entertaining. And if like hypershock's upside or witch doctor's upside down, I'm going to try and flip them. So it continues the fight. I'm going to do a lot of things that are actually like negative practice. It's like making you think different ways and you're, you're doing like About the wrong, you know, you need perfect practice. You don't need opposite to what you should be doing practice. So a lot of it is kind of like bad muscle memory. Um, but it is, I mean, I will say that I, I, the nerves, I guess, of being up on the stage, I know a lot of the people now that like the normal crew bots that are opening and putting your robots in, like the nerve side maybe is, is taken away a bit. But when I was in the proving grounds with Triton in a real fight with my money of a robot on the line, yeah. it is different. And it, you yeah. still have those nerves and you're still like, 
the adrenaline is pumping and you are, you know, like I said, I still made the mistake of not trying to drive around because I visually cannot perceive like Triton not hitting a wall. Like I don't want that to happen. So then I make the mistake of going weapon to weapon again. And, you know, I will say it helps. I will say I have an advantage to some degree, but honestly, I don't think it's really what people think it is. Yeah, um, makes sense. It's really just a different beast. Now, are the matchups, this is just, you know, the state of Destructathon now. We've talked to people kind of throughout the processes of you guys have like been developing the show and putting the different parts of the show together. Um, are the matchups like predictable now? Like, do you kind of know who's going to win each time or is it still like a little bit Wild West still trying to figure it out? Have you gotten into patterns? Have you gotten kind of into ruts where you kind of have to maybe break those patterns a little bit? How's that? How's that kind of going? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that. So you have, you know, you find things that are cool. You know, you do something with Tazbot that's super cool. Well, you want to try and replicate that. Um, but then, like, initially, maybe Kraken has, like, we have some programming issues and some, like, wheel issues. And so Kraken's, like, dying halfway through early parts of like, with Destruct Thought. So Tazbot would win a lot. Well, then we started fixing Kraken. Now Kraken's really good. And so it's hard for Tazbot to win sometimes. And it, sometimes it comes down to the audience vote. You know, that, that's what sometimes happens. And people love Kraken. So it can be difficult for Tazbot to win, even if it is obviously winning. So, hey, get out there. If you see the show, root for Tazbot because Tazbot's awesome. The guy <laughs> that behind it, Mechanic Jimmy, great guy. Vote for Tazbot. Yes. Um, but I mean, like you get some of that where you have really interesting engagements and you try to replicate things. You, you find something that's cool. You want to do it again. Um, but every fight is real and legitimate. And we, you know, while we have things we want to try to replicate, we can't necessarily do. And some nights a robot just dies and it's like, oh, you know, like last the Sunday, uh, you know, which doctor happened to die early. We don't know why either, which is like crazy, but it's like we couldn't find that we afterwards we test the robot. It works great, but a big hit just happened to kill it. And that happens like these robots will die because of fatigue over. I mean, these robots now uh, in a normal competition series, you know, like Sawblaze or something, they, they might have had 10 fights, right? maybe 11, but around like that many fights in the entire season for the two weeks they were here. I don't think we have a single robot that hasn't had at least 10 fights. We probably have robots that have 20 to 30 fights on them. These robots are not necessarily built to the same like super high quality, like spare no expense, titanium bolts, you know, everything. These robots are built to be a little more economical. They're built to, you know, be worked on and have a similar parts. So they're not like their weights are all over the place, but at the same time, like they're not built to be as good as a real competition robot. And these robots are getting really fatigued because of how much effort. So like, you got to understand the mechanics, you know, a normal team has five people repairing them. We have one guy uh, or one person. We have some girls as well. We have about one person per robot. That's, yeah. that's really hard. And yeah. we have five of each robot and we are doing, you know, five shows a week now. So we have to have five robots ready every week and we only have two days off. So it's an insurmountable amount of work and the people behind this are doing like just crazy things to make this actually happen. Yeah, the, awesome. the other, I mean, they do as somebody who watches the show almost every weekend, um, it is definitely still really fresh and like the energy, the actors bring to representing the team. It's very clearly not, you know, nobody's pretending to be Mike and Andrea, nothing like that, but to represent sort of like, the vibe of, you know, being the human uh, voice for the the robot, so to speak. They bring a lot of energy to it every time. And the announcers get really surprised, especially because when you've seen a lot of fights with the same, you know, similar matchups pretty often, mm -hmm. 
when, you know, things will happen in a different way and whatever. And they really genuinely are reacting like, what? <laughs> did that just happen? Did, did Mammoth just do that? Like, cause there's, I mean, they're very chaotic robots. The robots they chose are really well, well selected for yeah. having a lot of different things happen. Yep. And the matchups really lend themselves to each robot having, you know, different ways they can do spectacular things. So yeah. And having on, the different the... drivers will also be interesting because, you know, everybody does a little bit different every, you know, and sometimes they'll switch up which robot they, if they normally drive one or the other. So it's always, it's always something you never know. Yep. Yeah. And on the or, point of the matchups, it's, um, it's probably one of the more interesting things that we have to deal with because there are matchups that are easier to repair. Um, and oh, yeah. certain matchups would require a lot more money and effort and, and so forth. And so certain matchups aren't going to be as good. Like Mammoth interacts with certain robots much better. It can lift certain robots much better. And that's just how that robot works. And if you give it, yep. you know, Witch Doctor every time or, or maybe Malice, it might get wrecked on its sides or something. You know, it's like you have to predict these things and try. Sometimes we try things. We say, OK, let's do this matchup. How much damage did it, how much does it cost? Okay, and just like in the show, in the competition, you sometimes have different attachments. And so now we have to come up with, okay, it's gonna cost this much to make this new wedge configuration for five robots, so it can fight this other robot. Do we actually want that to happen? And, you know, yeah. some of that we have Except done, that. some of that we have decided not to do. And we, you know, we have a lot of similar matchups on the day-to-day, -day, um, and we keep working towards coming up with better combinations and different combinations, and hopefully we can get to the point where we have different matchups all you know at least every week if not every other day and that might be you know uh, uh, like a harder card for us to repair and then we go to an easier card to repair and we kind of go back and forth and we have to kind of we still haven't found that perfect balance of like how much manpower do we actually have to repair some of these robots and how much can we actually start altering the fight card so it's fresh so people can come back time and time again and you know, even if it's the same fight card, you're going to see different fights every time because there's different winners and there's different things that fly off. But yep. we want to be able to mix it up as much as possible within the capability of what yep. we are really able to do here. Makes sense. All right. So I have one more kind of Triton related question, and then I'm going to hand you over to Brandon with some listener questions. Yay. This is a, a meta game question about triton as brandon would put it um i say meta so, game with triton in the same sense yeah yeah, yeah. Triton's yeah. Meta. Triton, <laughs> triton is the meta for sure uh well no there's because there, brandon you explained this there's the game of battle bots and then and there's then? the game of battle bots yep. right um, this is a this is a the game of battle bots question if you were the fight night booker right if you were the one who was like deciding what kind of a story you were going to try to tell with how you were booking Triton? What kind of uh, like, is it a, you know, a come from behind bot? Is it a unlikely hero bot? Is it a, a just a death machine, heavy hitter? Um, you know, the, the unstoppable villain bot. Like if you were trying to book Triton, ideally, right. You got to make those choices, not the production team. How would you want Triton to be booked? How would you want Triton to be viewed? And what are some of the matchups you would want to see in those early Fight Night episodes in order to get that kind of a booking going for Triton? That's a very good question. You got anything, like Shay? You want me to give my answer? Um, it's funny because it's such a... It is kind of an impractical bot, right? 
but it mm. looks like its look is just, I mean, the shiny AR-500. It's all hand-polished AR-500, mind you. We are that crazy. It's, you know, yeah. no matter what, when Triton's in there, something crazy is going to happen to it. And it might be sort of like if you think about an air show, right? The amount of work that goes into, like, the logistics of coordinating, like, the Blue Angels information, that kind of thing. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of court. Like it takes a lot of space. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of everything. But at the end of the day, the effect of seeing it fly through the air, often literally with Triton, <laughs> is you know it's 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 the fight isn't really as you know the outcome of the fight doesn't necessarily matter. But it is so impactful to see something happen like that. Um, so I yeah, think I, I don't know how to okay. package that, but <laughs> worth the hassle is maybe that's on our end, not the production end. <laughs> like, friends, it's worth it because whoa, you know. <laughs> I actually um last night I drove and I had a or yeah last night Sunday, and I had a fan um which I don't have a lot of fans that oh Triton because it's you know less people know about it still it's um, a newer bot yeah. It's near bot, but I had a fan that was like, I love what you're doing. And, and, you know, he basically said the same thing that my logic is of the robot is it is kind of like the people's robot. It is what people want to see. If you want to see the largest weapon that's feasible because the deep six rule, which was originally deep six was 110 pound vertical bar, which is insane. Dustin's crazy. Um, yeah. but I love him for it. And, you know, it has to be limited to 80 pounds. So deep six was then 80 pounds, still too destructive for the arena. They wanted to see Triton instead. So we brought Triton, but Triton is 80 pounds. One of the, you know, you can't get too much longer without, again, we're, like, we have to figure out another solution because Manta's bending it. If it gets too much longer, it's going to get bend even easier. What are you going to do at 80 pounds? But it is, you know, if you, if you were a kid, if you were a fan, you wanted to see what is the largest amount of energy in a horizontal, in, in any kind of robot. That's what we're trying to bring. We, we don't really have armor. We just have it all in our weapon. We want to have as much power there. We want to just land giant spectacular hits. We, we're here for the cinematography. We're not here for necessarily like 100% winning and being meta and all this. We just want to see what happens when a giant bar hits your robot, you know, whatever it is. I feel like I ask a lot of times just because like motivation being a personal thing for me as I always kind of struggle with is like, I wonder what drives other builders to be doing what they're doing. Like what gets you out of the bed in the morning when it comes to designing your robot, right? And I really started to appreciate more why I like to do it <laughs> by like my dedication to seeing Dustin's robots perform. Cause like when depth charge, like to go to finals, if he couldn't bring it, it's like this robot needs to be there. Like it just, this needs to exist and be seen. There's what he's going for with this really matters. And anything we could do to make that happen, we're going to do. And yeah. sort of same thing with Triton. Story is like you just want there's some ideas that just need to be shown to people so that people can see like oh yeah i can just does this make sense no do i want to do it yeah is that enough of a reason yeah like blue the googly eyes on it you know but i i guess that's the thing is like you know Sometimes you just need to to just go for it <laughs> <laughs> glue the googly eyes and just go for it and I, I guess in terms of like the matchups, um, you know, obviously everybody wants to see Tombstone, Tombstone versus Triton. I, I'm, I'm, I'm already expecting it to happen. 
Uh, I don't see yeah. why it wouldn't happen, but you know, if it doesn't, that's fine. But we're going to be ready for that. Uh, we do have more reach than him. We are confident that our design is pretty well solidified, but we're going to have a new version. So you never know what happens with a new robot. I wouldn't want it to be my first fight, that's for sure. Um, but it would. I definitely want it to be early if we have to fight them because get it over with. See what happens. <laughs> get it over with. Let me repair it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like other than you know, that's obviously what people want to see. Um, I, I, you know. I know what happens when we fight Manta, so I don't really need to see that again. Yeah, um, no, no. I mean, I'd like another chance at him, obviously, but at the same time, it's like yeah. there's only so much I can do. Um, I, I just want to hit things, and, you know, I don't want to say this because I know, like, Greg's going to hear it, Greg Munson, and then he, it's going to end up happening, and it's going to be terrible, but, like, imagine the configuration Triton would need to fight huge. Like, that's going to oh. be goofy as heck. Um, but, you know, <laughs> things like that, right? That. Like. I, I like the odd, like, what's going to happen. Obviously, Huge is, is going to kill us, probably. Like, most likely, has a huge advantage. Haha. <laughs> but, you know, it, you know to, to an overwhelming degree. But at the same time, it's like, you know, somebody's going to see what happens. And, um, you know, there's a lot of robots that I'd love to see what happens. Um, but, I you know, I don't like saying it because it's like, well, you know, it's designed to fight anyone. It's designed to be a, just a giant weapon. I don't obviously want to fight Lucky and, like, really good wedges that just can, you know, kind of easily beat us. But at the right. same time, like, I might as well try. Like, what what are we going to do? You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the dream match bot. Uh, like, what happens when this weapon hits this weapon every single time? Yeah, I like that. All right, so I'm going to hand you over to uh, Brandon, who's got some mostly ridiculous listener questions. So, yeah, let's we'll see right. how that goes. <laughs> All right. So for listener questions, so both Diana and Bunny have very similar questions. So I want to start off with them. So I want to start off with them first. So first of all, from Diana, uh, I'm assumed to say, how do you feel knowing that you are the best human? Brad, I'm sure you're including this as well. And then this most directly, however, to Shay, what's it like being a god amongst us mortals with five smiling cat emojis with hard eyes? You know, there's a lot of mythical gods who are not super great. So. <laughs> Maybe I'm more of an Hephaestus. I don't know. Like, we, we, that can take many forms. No, I'm, I'm really grateful for Diana and Bunny being, you know, the way they are unabashedly in the sport because it definitely, like, um, you know, Rob and, and and Dustin early on when I started building robots were like very much like, yeah, go for the design. Like your design, that's crazy. That's really horrifying. And I don't like, like in Robert's case, he'd be like, it's horrifying. I don't like it. So now you have to do it because, you know, it's, it's like the conjuring, you know, it just has to happen. And Dustin was just like, yeah, that could totally work. Here's maybe, <laughs> you know, like do it. And the same way, like Bunny and Diana sort of gave me kind of a, permission to be just like okay I don't have to try and you know be uptight about it you know I can glue on the googly eyes you know that kind of thing so I'm very glad that right. they are you know they don't want like I don't think they think of themselves as role models particularly but just as being like you know community in the sport I think they really matter mm -hmm. good humans very good yeah. humans very good humans can confirm so then going along with that Dan has another question about uh, what's your favorite cookie Real cookie and Puruba cookie. I think Brad and I agree about this, actually. Okay. You can, we, we, well, oatmeal chocolate chip, soft oatmeal chocolate chip, definitely a thing. But Brad likes 
uh, chocolate chip cookies without the chocolate chips. Which as what kind of cookie learned, is that? Tell me what, what kind of cookie that is. What is a chocolate chip cookie without chocolate chips? What kind of cookie? A brown is it? sugar cookie, Brad. Or it's Don't I mean cheat. with Google like eyes instead the of right chocolate answer. chips. How about that? There you go. That's actually how cookie works. Instead of chocolate chips, we put googly eyes. That's your favorite kind of cookie. Ah. <laughs> Microplastics. That can't be edible. Yeah. Googly hey, eye they cookie. have edible glitter, which provably they do. That's not even do. microplastics at that point. That's macroplastics. So <laughs> I'm six foot seven. I disagree. Everything's <laughs> a, a microplastic to you. <laughs> Just inhaling the plastic directly into your bloodstream, you know? Why Save slow it down? Time. Exactly. Save the time. Save and so, plastic. yeah, exactly. And then uh, two Brad is all from Bunny. Uh, <laughs> to give the Thanos questions from before, they're going to return now. How many Thanos items have you collected? Uh, voluntarily? Voluntar- yeah, I'd say voluntarily. <laughs> We're going to... might get to add that as a stipulation. It's very curious now. Now I'm actually more concerned about the answer, but go on. Oh, oh, that, I mean... Why give away the full details? Um, but let's say, please don't. Definitely <laughs> more almost than, enough. How about that for def- <laughs> definitely more than two, three. Aaron put five on it, right? So at least five, six, more, more than six. <laughs> there you go. Thank, thank you, thank you, Aaron Fan. <laughs> Very early yeah. on, like in sort of like us hanging out a lot, I, I said something to the effect of, well, you know, you're going to get a Thanos thing for that. And he's like, I didn't want to be the Thanos guy. <laughs> that did not work out. Mm. Did not go. work out for you. There you go. <laughs> Just the deep side. That's a, for some people, it's like ceramic frogs, you know, like there's more, you know, there's worse things for people to just like, oh, this, they'll like this. So at least this is funny. <laughs> and so uh so continuing on so luke quinn uh famously from copperhead as well he is he has a couple of questions about destructathon but i think they kind of are touched on before so i'm sort of gonna hit them both together so a typical day behind the scenes destructathon what's it like and does it ever get easier or more difficult to fix the show bots as time goes on yes beautiful <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. <laughs> uh, so like it's, you know, uh, initially it was very long hours. Um, it's gotten down to much more reasonable. I have two days off. It's fantastic. Um, but, it, you know, it's a lot. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of like I passion. I wanted this to be successful. The proving grounds have been fantastic to bring in teams that are either experienced and learning way more like, you know, Cobalt came in and John learned a bunch of stuff just by driving around a little more than he normally would. And even Gigabyte, you know, like a lot of these old like jackpot learns and Triton learn every robot that even, you know, Aaron Hill, you know, he brought the twins and he learned it wasn't quite right yet, you know? And so even veterans are learning a lot, but the new guys, I mean, they, I've seen a couple robots come multiple times now, like doom and disarray and like this race fighting jackpot this coming weekend. So come to Destructathon. It's going to be crazy, but they're like, you know, the advancement and, and the, the, the amount that you learn, it's such a vital thing that I wanted this to be as successful as possible. And that's why I'm here. Um, it's now gotten to the point where I can actually sit at a computer and actually design a part in one day and actually do like, like without having to get up. But initially it was like every 30 seconds, like, you know, okay, this guy that's working on witch doctors and come ask me a question. This guy that worked on hypersh- come ask me a question. This guy, cause you know, they didn't know, like they knew how to like wrench and how to, you know, turn a bolt and how to tighten something, but maybe like 
should this bearing be like this? Should this wire be over here? You know, how do we program this? And so like at this point, they've all now learned so much, like they program their own robots. They know how to do VESC programming, right? Not, not to an extent of like the voodoo magic levels of changing things, but like our basic setup sure. is able to be put on the, the one mechanic is able to basically build an entire robot by himself uh, and replicate it at least. Um, but like parts and like we, you know, if we want to do a change, we want to do things and certain things get harder. Um, Bronco came in. It's a new robot for us. Um, it's the real Bronco. We got two of them. Um, one of them is kind of broken right now. And it's a lot of learning of like pneumatics and like a completely different system. And, you know, we're having to find like how, what's the right solution for making it work for Destructathon because it is such a specific type of robot. It's so large and you know, it was built to be 250 pounds. Like what can we make heavier and stronger and last longer? But then what, you know, because there's so much force, is it going to bend? Like, it's complicated in so many ways that it becomes harder. So on a certain day, it might be really difficult. And we only have so many people. So like if, you know, we have to do D battery and, you know, we battery up robots, we have to twitch test them. We have to have two robots ready every day. And if anything goes wrong, that's like a robot's down or there's a problem in like, you know, battery catches on fire, like, things become extremely more difficult that day. And so we will still have times where it gets more difficult. Um, but we've con we continue to move towards a direction of making it more streamlined and flow a lot better. And I'm sorry that's so long, but it, it is very impressive that no one has really done exactly this and we are doing it somehow. And please come to Destructathon, buy some of awesome Shay's awesome parts. Like it's so, it's so great that we can do this. Yeah, no, I I enjoy hearing that because that is a lot of on the spot engineering that you're having to do, which is sort of at the heart of the sport. People love to do it, especially at the beginning of the sport when a lot of the bots were certainly more crazy. And you know, we still do it now, even with the robots too. Like I mentioned earlier, obviously about Mammoth's drivetrain being reworked, but I think every team during the season comes in with a oh, I think I've got it figured out. Gets hit in the face. This is not figured out. This must be answered for, and I'm have to spend some time uh, re-engineering how the robot might work in some capacity or another. And uh, Bronco's a very great case. It's very cool hearing about it, particularly since it has yeah. the, the pneumatic system there. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been, for me, a great experience to learn all about it and how it's built and talk to Reason and figure out like what's going on and how do we build more of them and you know how do we keep it running. Um, but I will say to you specifically, I think Mammoth is up to 500 pounds now. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, goodness. I, it does work oh. better than it, than it has before, but it is very heavy now. Oh, yeah. Man, I, I remember working with Ricky like in his garage, like moving the Mammoth chassis. And I was like, oh, this is just like all steel now. It's like, yeah, yeah. There's like none of this Tigris nonsense here. We're just slamming it with a lot of material, making it work. And then... I can only assume, like from all the battles it's now had, the epic, epic battles, that now you probably had to like, reinforce things about Mammoth. Maybe like the the uh, the drivetrain, the weapon, because they're, they're sort of massive and weird. Having to sort of figure that out and redo it. Oh my goodness, I do not envy you we, all. We've done some weird things, like you know, like they said, we we put tubes and tubes to strengthen up parts of the frame. We've had to add extra plates and weld on extra, like a thicker actual AR backplate because when it flies upside down and it lands against the screws, you know, it starts denting the the mild steel backplate it had, and or the, it was aluminum or something. But mm -hmm. we, the aluminum pulley guards now have to be steel and AR, so that way it get, when it flops around, it doesn't get all wrecked instantly. We've tried out like steel arms, so they're like super stiff mm -hmm. and like. 
we try things and we work things and it's like there are certain limitations to how much weight we can add to on the robot before it starts affecting its performance but it's a lot of trial and error sometimes and you know when you have five of a robot it can be difficult to plan for like okay let's try this out works on a robot okay now we have to make four more of them or five more of them and it's like it's a very interesting process and it's very different than anything i've ever done that's for sure oh my goodness now i'm just now i'm worried to see like okay so mammoth season eight we have to take the learning from that and make it that good again no <laughs> Oh, That's I've definitely got some secrets and some learnings that are going to benefit me just from material usage and seeing how certain things, like like you said, like Mammoth, I think Mammoth changes a lot from what mm. I've, you know, from what I've seen from the outside is Mammoth changes a lot every year and you're experimenting a lot every year. And I've now had the chance of trying very specific things a lot. So <laughs> maybe Ricky could get some information from me. I don't know, but I've seen some interesting uh, uh, things uh, with different materials. And it stuff would now. come full circle from how he like, trained you on vest from the beginning <laughs> yeah i i i hadn't really used vest much at all i hadn't really used vest much at all and ricky kind of i don't want to say saved the show but he kind of did because you know kraken was having such a problem with his drive and we ricky helped me learn and through you know both of us kind of working together we kind of came up with like let's try this let's try this let's try this okay is this and he kind of taught me how to use vest in a much more visceral way and i got to the point of like all our robots are on the same program now. They're all doing like their KI and KP numbers are perfect. And I'm happy with it. I mean, it's not perfect, really. It's never perfect, <laughs> but it's so much better than it was. And that that really helped us. So obviously, Ricky gets the benefit of and, and everyone that built the robot. They get some advantage of understanding like, hey, you know, even though they maybe built it with different materials, maybe it's mouth steel, it's not AR, you know, maybe they did things differently than they normally would they can still see the results of it like how this held up like this aluminum got shredded this this got hit weird you know you, you do gain some from seeing these what happens to these robots yeah oh, i love mammoth r&d so beautiful <laughs> okay so scott i'm gonna hopefully say his last name right shiraga from overhaul first of all he wanted to say i can't wait to finally have the overhaul triton grudge match that was unfortunately canceled last season so Greg, if you're listening, season eight, you know what to do. Um, and so, first of all, what are the robot competitions like at Wasteland Weekend in Neotropolis? So, I want to know this, too. Yes. So, also, some background about what those are. You can add that as well. It'd be pretty good. So, I'll just I'll let Shay answer, like, what those are like. But I want to say to Scott, specifically that overhaul fight, we were, like, scheduled to be, like, one of the late, like, last grudge matches. And I'm kind of okay with not end up doing it. But we were ready for like 12 hours. We had batteries in the robot for like 12 hours. We were sitting ready to go for the longest time. And we wanted one more fight. And they didn't give it to us. And it killed me because we really wanted to fight. We were sitting there waiting. The fight they ended up taking instead of us was um, a fight for two robots that didn't really get to fight. So it was fantastic. I'm happy they did it. But, um, yeah, I am really sad we didn't get that because Charles was like, yeah, send it. Like, And that was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um and, and in terms of what Wasteland Weekend is, Wasteland Weekend was created. It's, a, it's an event now in the desert, uh, the Mojave Desert in California. And it's basically a Mad Max style event. You have to be kind of in dress code and you go out there in Mad Max style. And, um, you know, there's a lot of vehicles, and a lot of art and like, you know, interesting things. And there's like missions and a little, a little bit of LARPing kind of activity. And we have an, a, we're part of a camp, which same with um, same guy that does Kronos is Smashbots, which is also a, a Southern California, one of the SCAR um, member teams that, you know, in coming up in November 18th, 19th is um, going to be Battle for Los Angeles, which is a Smashbots SCAR event. Um, but Jerry has been doing Wasteland Weekend for a long time. It's kind of a offshoot of Burning Man. 
it's a fantastic, cool event, and we fight robots. And we also do RC death race cars. So we have cars that go around a track and bash into each other. Ah. And then Neotropolis, same location, same people that did um, Wasteland Weekend, but instead it's more like Blade Runner. So it's more futuristic, sci-fi, um, but still kind of in this desert, post-apocalyptic-ish kind of sense, you know? Um, and they're really cool events. And there we do uh, combat robots as well, as well as RC car stuff. Um, but the, the, you know, it's plastic ant weights and, um, RC death race is more like rock climbing kind of stuff. And it's only, this will be now coming up in the beginning of this year will be the third time Neotropolis has ever happened. So it's a very new event that's growing still. And it's very cool, but Shay can talk about what it's like going there to compete. It's a, it's very different in that, like, you don't have repair time. It's, it's pure spectacle, but in a very, like, not the same way destructive on is kind of thing. Like it's a bunch of sequential fights. So like for wasteland, it was, uh, they did two rounds of like one minute each, I think. And you don't even have time to swap batteries or anything. You're literally putting the robot in, you do your fights, then you take it out and then they put more in. And in the time between your matches, if you move forward, cause it's all single elimination. Um, like I had time to unwind the wires that got tangled up in the, the winches for the balls on my robot but that was like all i had time to do and doing that meant that i couldn't see brad's fights kind of thing but it's like behind a chain link fence cheering crowds it's all very exciting dj uh uh part of the smashbots kind of experience jerry is uh sort of a network of djs and just sort of living artists who all just kind of you know chaos is part of the uh the lifestyle kind of thing so incredible music on this backdrop and the cheering crowds and very much like it's at the end of the world what are you like at the end of the world total apocalypse you can do anything you want what do you want to do and we want to fight robots so that's what we did and neotropolis same thing but with plastic ants where you're just kind of fighting till you can't anymore and it's very much like um you know kind of a real steel sort of thing where it's just like everybody's cheering the announcement is going the music's blaring and you're just going for it and uh, it just kind of captures the joy of what the vegan cockfighting of it all you know it's just that's kind of <laughs> that's just the, the energy but like even for regular like scar events and all that just jerry's events in general are very much like if making stuff and breaking stuff is something you love to do like that's a community thing and it's so supported and it's it's just really fascinating. So if you're in Southern California, Scar events, the Smashbots events, they're fantastic. There's not it's not nothing quite like it that I can tell. Like it's as much a dance party by the end as it is anything else, and it's just really special. Oh my goodness, I definitely need to go west at some point. <laughs> that sounds like a I, lot. I will of fun. say Smashbots, just as like a you know, it's in a chain link fence. They're about fifty pound robots. You can't really have you know, there's there's actual rules about like spinning limitations and stuff because there is a chain link fence with crowds, and you can't even like we don't want too pokey of a stick to come out. Like the, you know, so there's a little bit of a like check to make sure you're not going to try and kill somebody out there. Um, but it's like you have hammer bots and like the more fun robots, the, the like the weird little grabby robots, the spinny robots, the the more fun stuff that's not going to be just like pure destruction necessarily. And it's very nice to like experience that, you know, it's a difference and it's nice to have different types of events like that. It's like a sportsman kind of thing, but mm -hmm. a little tamer than even that. Yeah. Well, that's... A tamer in a very specific sense. Mm -hmm. Not yeah, heavily themed, not generally. Yeah. And I mean, Brad's hammer bot did like punch a hole through a robot basically. So like, <laughs> it's still, it's still serious business. 
Still serious yeah. business. It's very casual, Brad. Safety, <laughs> safety is still a concern. Okay, good to know. Good yeah. to know. But it is like in the sand, and they put like a carpet down, but there's still like sand around the edge. So it's like a sand trap. And Now, the regular anyways, not Wasteland Smashbots events are a lot more like conventional and everything. Like that's mm-hmm. not... But still, it's Jerry's like just a total, you know, goals for if you want to be living in artistically and engineeringly enhanced life, like he's the guy doing it. And it's really great that he shares that with us by putting on these events. So. Oh, that's incredible. When the meta eventually takes over and we all get bored of four diverts, we'll begin throwing them in sand just like this and that'll change everything. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. So Elaine Milton asks, does... Shay, do you still have your collection of scrap metal? Yep. <laughs> I'm still adding to it. One of the It's one bigger. Of the first, it's so yeah, one of the first things Brad brought for the apartment was a bucket that I could put it in more. And that's also like a really big difference since the last time I was on the show. Like my life was very different. Um and I was a lot more sort of like feeling like this was something that was on the side, not something that I should be like, is my whole personality kind of. <laughs> and now it's like, oh no, if you're keeping the street metal, like, let's organize it. Like, it's a thing. So now it's the, yeah, it's not, it's still here. Maybe a little bit rustier because it was raining a little bit for a while. Like some of some of the um, back wall, like the, the older street metal is on a patio. So it might be a little bit rustier now. But yeah, still, still definitely adding to it, but getting more ideas for what to do with it. Because mm. something's going to come is together. The, is the giant horizon like arm bar part of that? Um, is the blood sport bar part of that? Ooh, is ooh. the like um, what, what the switchback chunk part of that? Because we've got a lot more scrap metal in very large pieces now. It's like Katamari. Uh, you just wind up, the parts get bigger as you go, you know, as you get get more advanced. That's what's happening here. Great reference. Don't oh, fight great. it. Don't fight it. I love, I love that we've now discovered Shay's actual reason for getting into this sport, and it's to collect more exotic and bigger scrap metal. I will become metal. a star made of scrap metal. <laughs> 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 yes. Oh, it's so good. All right. So now I have our philosophical question from Mary Catherine Carr. So, to both of you, what is your favorite weird thing that the other likes slash does? It's not put the put things in drawers, that's for sure. The tools are <laughs> everywhere, which is nice. They all have their spots. <laughs> it's funny because Brad and I are very much like perfect uh, overlap of having very similar traits but also having different specialties so we can help each other with different aspects of things. But our like general sort of, I don't know if lifestyle is the right word, but we're very, very similar in a lot of ways that other people might find really inconvenient. So <laughs> I don't know if that seems, I don't know how that's selling us, but the apartment is like fully roboted out and it's all, you know, a workspace and we're enabling each other a lot, which is very exciting. I, I have to think about what's actually a weird thing that, because I don't know what weird is really anymore. That's, that's its I'm own fascinating. It. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, let me think that's, about it. That's itself pretty good. So I, Go ahead. I mean, like, I have too easy of a, a, a job with it, or too easy of a way of answering this, really, um, because... <laughs> 
I mean, we're she compliments me so well, and she makes me like a bit like she makes me seem normal, I guess, because I'm kind of a, a rigid person normally. And she's like, always like so happy and, and just like, yeah, fantastic to see you. She's like a perfect counter to me to like make me more normalized and make sure like people understand I'm okay. Um, <laughs> but the thing that she does is weird. And this is the easy answer is that um, she, she kicks a lot of stuff. Um, so to find straight metal, uh... the, the trick of it is to actually kick it first to make sure it is actually metal and not a bug or plastic or something else. So you have to actually kick things in the, the parking lots in the street on the ground. She kicks things randomly. And I'm like, wait, what? And it's like, oh, oh, she's, yeah, okay. It's, is it street metal or not? Like, that's what she's doing. So that's like the, the weird thing, I guess. It's not maybe what everyone else does, kick random things on the ground. <laughs> Yeah, you only have to mistake a bug for a washer once, and you never, never <laughs> don't like first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's adorable. I think Brad needs uh, more credit, too, for the personality that he brings to things, because, like, the safety spoon, arguably the breakout star of the cookie team, um, he had stayed up really late, like, overnight working on some stuff to get ready for that, and... When I got up in the morning, I was working, I was getting ready to go or something like that. And I noticed the wooden spoon he had labeled like his, oh, he labels everything. That's my one thing that that might be the best thing that is like a little above and beyond for what normal people might do. Because um, again, he's only had the label, the wires not labeled correctly once. And now he labels everything all the time. But so he had gone through, I think it was the wiring harness for cookie or something. And it was, so he'd labeled everything. And when he did that, he also made a label that said safety spoon to put on the safety spoon, the the, the weapon lock for cookie. It's a wooden spoon. I love you, that. You through. And so I looked at that, I like picked it up and I was like, that is what that is. <laughs> that is exactly what that is. It is what and, it is. Uh, we've never mistaken it for something else since. <sighs> I love it. All right. So now we're going to move on to this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Now, I promised in the episode description of this episode that we would be talking about our uh, post-robotic futures in the world of ranching, and uh, we're not here to disappoint. So we're going to talk about robotic milkers, robotic brushes, and robotic hoof care for uh, the dairy industry in the United States and around the world. Um, I It's I presented this as somewhat of a post-apocalyptic situation, but as I've done my research now, as it turns out, this stuff is super beneficial for the animals. It's kind of great. So there are over 35,000 robotic milking systems um, operational in the dairy industry across the world. The main reason that dairy producers install these milking robots are to improve their lifestyle and expand without uh, hiring, expand their care without hiring additional labor. Each robot can handle 60 cows per day. The, cho the cows choose to get milked at their leisure. Um, so like before it would be like in the morning, you just kind of go through and milk the cows every morning. And whether they're ready to be milked or want to be milked or not, it's not their choice. You just milk the cows in the morning because that's the time you milk the cows. With this, the cows just mosey on up to the robot whenever they're ready to be milked, whenever they're like, eh, I'm kind of uncomfortable. I'm going to go get milked. And then they just take care of that problem. And then maybe they go hang out under the robotic brush for a while and get a nice little back scratch. And then maybe they'll go get their homes clean. It's like a day spa for cows. It's amazing. Recreational um, milking. Literally like, yeah, they all wear little RFID tags, which give real time feedback on the milking for the milking system on how often the cow is coming in to get milked. If the cow is ready to be milked, 
Um, these, uh, many of these farms also support robotic brushing systems and hoof cleaning systems to maximize herd health while reducing the impact on farm owners and workers. So it gives farm owners more time. It gives uh, workers less wear and tear on their bodies and it gives the cows uh, free will in a sense. <laughs> like they get to choose when to go get milked, when they want to go eat, when they want to go take a nap. Um, all of this they do at their leisure and it's more efficient. You actually produce more milk per cow through these systems than you do with forcing them to get milk during the time of day that you think that they're supposed to because maybe they're not ready. Maybe they still have like three gallons left that they need to get like uh, that they're trying to get produced for that day or whatever. Um, so it's a very interesting like thing. There's you would think like robotic ranching is inhumane, but as it turns out, it might be more humane. What are your I thoughts? Would like, I would like to hear more about these cow brushes because yeah. cat brushes are good up to about 30 pounds of robot, <laughs> yeah. but cows are significantly bigger than cats. So I'm hearing 250 adjacent brushes. Yes. So they uh. are, um, they're kind of like car wash brushes is what they are. They're like giant car washing brushes, but they're more stiff bristled. So they do scratch their back. So what the cows will do is they'll like bring their butts up there and get a little like butt scratch, or maybe they'll bring their, their like shoulders up there and get a little shoulder scratch. And, uh, they're just like turn on automatically as the cow kind of brushes up against them. I mean, as a mechanical engineer and just as a person, efficiency is like my thing i love efficiency like if there's a way to make something more efficient i will do it if i'm playing a video game i find out like how do i make this more efficient how do i do this task more efficiently like i am big on efficiency so this makes sense to me i love data i love the fact that you can you know track what this cow is doing you could probably tell the cow is sick by it's like oh it's not coming to milk very often no it's not going over to eat very often this cow might need to be looked at and if you have a lot of cows in in america we have tons of cows and in Australia and other places, there's tons of cows. So like being able to track them on a, on a larger scale means you can have, you know, the individual humans doing more direct work that, you know, makes more sense to like maintain that and keep that running and keep less disease and less, you know, just everything. Like it all makes total sense to me. After Wasteland, yeah. we were talking to, um, I didn't know that much about everybody who went, but like Orion was at Wasteland and. Uh, from hijinks and he does he works in a lot of automation and we were talking about you know like pros and cons and how some people think that it's like this terrible awful evil thing and some people are like oh it's the most amazing perfect thing but it's like it'll be able to just do everything and magically instead of realizing how much work goes into actually making those intelligent automations and he's like well anything that's like a human stress like something that's not fun for a human to do or physically a good thing for a human to do automate it that's just the that's the goal it's not supposed to be replacing everybody it's about making sure that people aren't doing things that aren't good for them and that's you know that made me think about it really differently too because i've always just kind of thought about it as like an efficiency measure instead of like oh this is improving you know the quality of jobs for people too it's not necessarily just taking them away yeah yeah. So you still, you still have to maintain all those machines and you still have to like, you know, if there's yep. a cow that's, you have to have somebody that still is doing that stuff. So like she said, like you, if you don't have to sit there and scratch a cow's udder, that's a crappy job. Maybe you shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. that's what Or I if you like it well. too much, maybe you shouldn't be the one doing it. Yeah. Oh, the flip that's side. The of the side. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was my, that was my thought as well. It was the, the continued maintenance of it as well. Cause, um, <clears throat> So I can't imagine that um, 
very easy to create a full automation system where everything works at peak efficiency all the time. I think even the most amazing factories in the world, like car production lines, for example, they still have plenty of engineers and technicians who have to go check around the machines, do diagnostics on them. And if anything, that just drives more people to learn those, um, those more uh, beneficial skills too. Because now you have a pretty good uh, impetus to say, okay, well, now I can learn more tech-based degree. Um, but still work in the same um, area profession now, but now you have those skills that are transferable anywhere else to go with it. Um, and you can still definitely have that role uh, available. And then, I mean, the cows. The cows are chilling from everything I heard here. I've heard, From the cow perspective, you're just living in quite a, quite a good time. Uh, like I never really thought about the, the question of like, oh, have we asked the cow when the milking time is best? And you know what? <laughs> I don't think we really did. And I think that was a big question that this is answering. It's like, ah, you should have. And that was the question yeah. we even had. Turns out they don't like mornings either. No. Yeah. Be... Yeah. Daylight savings time. Yeah. Or if, a problem. if they that's do, a... that option's available. And there's like, apparently like there's lines that develop in front of the machines where like, uh, <laughs> like they'll be like, oh, it's time. I, I feel like it too. Yeah. You want to just stand in line together? So they'll just kind of like stand in line together and wait and hang out and like wait their turns. And they're super like. Um, they, they've developed kind of a social hierarchy kind of around like when they get access to the milk. I get milked first. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Like the older ones, they're like, yeah, you go first. It's cool. You Aww. go ahead. We know you don't want to stand for that long. Like that kind of a thing, which is interesting. Um, yeah, it's a very strange thought process about like how automation can actually make a process that wasn't necessarily humane, a little bit more humane, maybe a little bit nicer for the actual animals. Um, and I think that's a good thing all the way around. Like, I was I was hoping we could get some dystopian future jokes out of this one, but uh, after reading it, I'm kind of like, oh no, this this makes perfect sense. It's like utopian future coming in. What a what a switch. Ah, we don't get that very <laughs> yeah. often around Logan's here. Logan's cattle run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, that's about it for us today. Uh, Luke and Lindsay and Chris are actually all back in the states now. They're around. Uh, but they're sleeping and trying to get like fixed after their, you know, complete time zone switch and all that. So they have many adjustings to do before they're actually able to be back on the show. Uh, but we'll be back in your feed next week with a mysterious guest. And uh, we'll see you then, folks. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.